Hello, my name's Jonathan Self and I'm the founder of Honey's Real Dog Food. Honey's was delighted to provide the funding for this podcast. If you're looking for more information on raw feeding and canine nutrition, you can download a free copy of the best-selling guide, The Natural Feeding Handbook, from www.honeysrealdogfood.com. Hello and welcome to the Dog Nutrition Podcast. I'm Penny Borum. And I'm Seb Masters. So Darcy the Labrador is about to finish his meal. We're now coming to the end of the series and it's time to take stock of what we've learned so far. And of course, there's still a lot to learn from the experts. You'll be hearing some practical tips and more. If you heard the last episode you'll know we took a deeper look at raw feeding for dogs and visited an innovative, independent veterinary practice who have made raw feeding the central pillar of their care plan and business model. We also explored the topic of hygiene and heard from professionals about the potential risks and benefits associated with the bacteria that can be found in dog food. These conversations are giving us a much better understanding of the connection between the way we feed our dogs and the extent to which they thrive. And we've realised there is something that people keep mentioning as crucial when this link between feeding and thriving comes up. What we need to do is make sure that we're feeding a variety. And we give varieties. It's a varied diet. Feed a variety of foods. Variety is something that many dogs don't see a lot of. When they stare down at their bowls, they're met with the same brown biscuits they ate the day before and the day before that and so on and so on. But why is variety so important? Dog nutritionist Connor Brady uses a comparison study to explain. They've done a study uh, where they compare dogs eating rabbits to dogs fed kibble, a purified rabbit diet now, but still it was something of a study that was useful to us. And they found that the dogs initially were very much better off on this rabbit diet, but they found after eight months, the dogs on the rabbit diet started suffering a lactorine, which points out to one very important thing. Rabbits aren't very high in taurine. Almost every other animal is, but rabbits. You wouldn't let a dog or a cat eat rabbit only all their lives because rabbits contain a certain amount of cool stuff turkeys contain a certain amount of cool stuff insects poo carcass everything contains a certain amount different levels like a graphic equalizer in the front of a radio no food is perfect i mean i would be feeding for the dog or a cat a varied diet some turkey some chicken some some rabbit some venison i mean what how spoiled are we that we have these incredible meats uh, you know wild meat some fish some sardine and sprat And you're mixing the diet up all the time because we go for balance over time. We're not quite sure how much calcium the dog needs. We're not quite sure how much zinc or selenium or uranium. Do dogs need uranium? Dogs need all this stuff in a certain amount. But we achieve that via balance over time. You would never pick one protein and stay on it. That's the route to nutritional deficiency. Connor mentions balance over time. By feeding a range of different foods, which contain different types of minerals, vitamins and proteins, all in different quantities a dog can achieve a balanced diet that suits its individual needs. Dr Ian Billingshurst explains how. The body is designed to take what it needs out of the food and discard what it doesn't need. And if it's at a low level, the body will take every portion of that out if it's in the milieu of actual food and food that the animal in question evolved to eat. And if there's too much, it'll leave what it doesn't need out. As long as the rest of the food is there because it acts this homeostatic mechanism that is complex beyond belief. And it's a complexity we we cannot mimic in modern foods. 
It's a complexity that can only be mimicked by actual food. Dr Ian Billingshurst is considered to be one of the founding fathers of the raw feeding movement and his 2001 book, The Bath Diet, is one of the seminal texts on the subject. Interestingly, he says that to feed a healthy, complete diet... You don't actually have to know about nutrients. And instead, you just need to provide a dog with real food, which is... Mimicking what they evolved to require. Ian Billingshurst emphasises the importance of real food and warns against the issue of supplementation the process of bolstering the nutritional content of food by adding nutrients in their non-natural form. And this is the, the problem we face today with processed pet foods. We're not trying to feed food. We're not trying to feed evolutionary food. We're trying to feed food with a specific range of nutrients at specific levels. And unfortunately, it's not necessarily in the form that nature requires. And it's also not necessarily in the balance that nature requires. And any way you can achieve that is to feed actual food. If an animal eats the broad range of the foods it evolved to require, it will receive those nutrients we know about, it will receive the ones we don't know about, and it will also receive the ones we don't rec yet as recognise as essential for health and life. And I'm thinking of a lot of the phytonutrients and polyphenols and so on there, which, for example, are not at all recognised by FIDIAF or AFCO or NRC and the people who formulate our dog foods. So, yes, I'm not at all concerned with nutrients. I absolutely know they must be there, but I'm saying they will be provided and in the right balance and the right amounts if we follow those basic evolutionary principles. For Ian, it all comes back to this. Nothing in biology makes any sense except in the light of evolution. With that in mind, Ian says that one of the key things that dogs have evolved to require in their diet is bones. He believes they are an essential element of a varied diet. In evolution, dogs have evolved as scavengers, and we all know that dogs will fight over bones. They want bones. Why? Because they've evolved to require them. I realised very on, early on in my career when I, when I thought about this, we're going to learn so much more of why bones are important. Now, one thing I did learn over the years, which I didn't know back then, is that because bones contain cartilage, this provides two important things at least. One, the cartilage is very important as a precursor for the nutrients that form a young puppy's own bones, particularly their joint surfaces, the glycosaminoglycans, the, the cartilage in their own bones. That's number one. What I certainly didn't know, I, I kind of guessed that might be the case, but what I didn't know was that Cartilage has another property. If you look at cartilage, there are no blood vessels in it. It actually inhibits the growth of blood vessels. Why is that important? Well, as it turns out, one of the things that promotes cancer is its ability to grow a blood supply. Now, I have in my body probably millions of tiny precancerous or, or cancerous cells who, that are going nowhere because most of my diet is anti-angiogenic. That is, it's anti the formation of blood supply within a cancer. And it turns out that cartilage is anti-angiogenic. It stops the formation of blood vessels in cancer. This is just one tiny thing that, that, that uh, bones do. 
Remarkably, the benefit of bones is not solely limited to the dog that's consuming them. If the dog has offspring, the physiological effects the mother developed from eating the bones will be passed down to her puppies too. This mirrors what we heard from Anna Bjorkman in episode 4, that the consequences of good or bad nutrition are carried through generations from dog to dog. One of the things that we notice in dogs, and this is an epigenetic effect, whose ancestors have been fed raw for many generations, their teeth, their enamel is actually much harder and much more able to withstand the, um, the rigours of eating hard bones. So that's an important point. So what we notice is over several generations of, of raw feeding, the teeth get better and better, as do the bones of those animals. So this is an epigenetic effect, obviously. The enamel and everything else that is produced actually adapts to become more resilient to bone eating. So bones sound great for dogs. They're good for their health and their offspring. However, vet Danny Chambers has seen another side of bones, one that is a lot more damaging for dogs. And what happens when it does choke on a bone that it can't digest or eats a bone that's too big and it gets stuck in the um, intestines? So dogs eat bones often need them to be removed surgically. And if they weren't removed surgically, they would die. Obviously, this is something that owners are worried about. We wanted to find out why this might be the case and how owners can mitigate the potential risk. We reached out to Frankie Marriott, a veterinary nurse who works in a healthcare team at a raw dog food company. Her role involves providing nutritional guidance to owners who are either currently feeding or just interested in learning about a raw food diet. When it comes to bones, Frankie says that there's an important distinction that needs to be made. There's lots of sort of prior publicity about dogs choking on chicken bones after getting hold of the carcass from Sunday dinner, things like that. What I think um, some people don't necessarily understand is that a raw bone is pliable and a cooked bone is brittle. Heat changes the, the chemical composition of a bone. It makes it indigestible and therefore more liable to splinter and cause gut issues or compaction. So cooked bones should never, ever be given to a dog. And I think that's not always passed along with information, you know, when people are teaching other people about raw diet. So raw bones are flexible and chewable, whereas cooked bones are brittle. They're likely to splinter and cause issues if swallowed. I asked Frankie if there's any additional advice she gives owners who are trying to incorporate raw bones into their dog's diet. There are two types of bones. So you have bones what we call sort of recreational bones. So just for chewing, uh, licking, for enrichment. And then you have the eating and swallowing bones. So with the, the eating and swallowing bones, they typically are things like uh, chicken, duck wings, necks, lamb ribs, pork ribs, things like that. So softer bones. What I always recommend when someone starts feeding sort of whole bones in their diet, so if they're doing a DIY diet, I always make sure that if a dog has never had a whole bone before, that they are, A, they're supervised. And also, I tend to recommend that the owner hold on to the end of the bone. And what you find is that a dog will play a bit of tug of war with you and they'll just try and pull it from you. Because, you know, a dog likes a bone. You know, they'll, they'll try and pull it away from you. And then I tend to just hang on to it. And they'll soon realise that actually to, to remove that from you, they need to chew it. And it's just teaching them that they need to chew properly and not just grab it, a couple of chews and swallow it. What you want is proper chewing just to break that up. So I usually hang on to it, let them chew it as close as they can get to my hand really without hurting me. <laughs> and then um, 
yeah, let them have the rest of it. And then they learn. I think sometimes it's the environment the dog is having the bone in as well. So a bone is quite a high value item for a dog. So in terms of behavior, what you don't want is anything around them to be challenging them for it. So the first time you might give a bone, I would say make it a nice relaxed area. No one really around them, leave them to it. If you've got a few dogs, maybe spread them out so that no one's challenging each other for it. Potentially have a spare on the side in case you know you have one dog that um, might take the other ones, things like that. When dogs aren't then challenged for those high value items, they're not so quick to just try and swallow them. These great tips can help people start safely feeding bones to their dogs. We asked Frankie to elaborate on some of the benefits of adding this extra component to dogs' diets. Bones contain a huge number of nutrients that are vital to a dog's health. So these can include things like minerals, calcium, magnesium, phosphorus. They also contain protein containing essential amino acids, including lysine, fat-soluble vitamins, so things like vitamins A, D, E. So you get lots of things from bones. The act of chewing a bone for a dog provides good exercise for the jaw. So it's strengthening their jaws and their upper body. Dogs that do have a bone to chew can be happier and calmer. So in terms of behaviour wise, it does provide a calming response. So that's really good for dogs that might need that. Obviously, with dental health, it's the act of chewing, ripping meat off the bone that's going to help the teeth stay nice and healthy. During this series, raw feeding has been discussed as a new and emerging trend. With this in mind, we wanted to quiz Frankie on what advice she has for people who are embarking on this method of feeding. First of all, she says it's important for the recently converted to consider this. If someone's brand new to a raw diet, I would always recommend using a, a ready-made recipe. And when it comes to choosing the right ready-made raw food company, Frankie says that the most important thing to take into account is... Quality, really, I'd say, is the main focus. So looking at what meat they include and, and the quality of the meat. Free range is the minimum standard of animal husbandry that good quality producers should consider. In the case of cattle and sheep, it's usually termed as grass-fed or pasture-fed. So that means plenty of time outdoors, lots of space. It's looking at what they also might administer to animals as well. So we say no to sort of routine use of antibiotics, routine use of hormones, intensively reared animals or birds. If we're using poor quality ingredients, they're going to have to add artificial supplements just to ensure that it has sufficient nutrition. Whereas if we're having good quality ingredients, we've got better nutritional properties with that. The body does absorb nutrition much more easily if it comes in a natural form. So for example, a dog could absorb a higher percentage of calcium from a bone than from a calcium supplement. So when we come into things like ingredients for our recipes, we want to make sure we're using the best quality natural ingredients that we can just to make sure they're more bioavailable. Frankie echoes what Ian was saying earlier in the episode. You just can't beat high quality real food. So, you've decided you want to try raw feeding, but how do you introduce your dog to a new type of diet? I think it comes down to two different ways. So it's a straight swap overnight. I use this in dogs that may not be eating their current diet. If they're not going to eat it, they're not going to eat it. Works really well for young, healthy dogs, health conditions, things like that. The slower transition 
it's just a case of swapping one meal at a time, really. So if a dog is on three meals a day, let's say, then I'd swap one meal for a few days, see how they get on, and then gradually increase the amount of meals they're having. Customers know their own dogs really well, more than we do. So it's about what what the customer really feels is the best for their dog. Frankie makes a good point here. Owners know their pets really well, and they're in the best position to pick up on how they react to certain changes to their diet or otherwise. It's about identifying these changes and adjusting their diet accordingly. Frankie explains. There's sort of like a basis to a raw diet. So we would start with a third meat, third meaty bones, third veg. Now, if, for example, someone comes to me and says, you know, my dog is quite yeasty, has typically smelly, smelly ears, sort of smelly paws, it's Sometimes it's it's hard to describe the smell, but it's one of those smells that when you smell it, you're like, oh, okay, a little bit yeasty. Dogs like that, for example, typically root vegetables um, have a higher sugar content and can actually feed the yeast. So in that situation, I go, okay, that's fine. We need to remove any root vegetables from that diet to help with that. And that might mean that we go to a veg-free recipe and we can add in extra leafy green vegetables to get the the benefits from those. That's sort of what I mean by adjusting it really. So there's like a a basis, if you like, and then we just kind of tweak things to suit the individual, things like fat content. Some older dogs will naturally move less, therefore need less calories during the day. Whereas if you have a working collie who's out all day, every day, they are going to need a lot more calories because of the expenditure that they've got. So it's very much a case of keeping an eye on a dog. And I I say as well, you know, keeping an eye on the stools. So whatever comes out, if one day maybe you fed a bone that was just a little bit dense and actually the stools the next day were very hard or or crumbly, that can indicate just a little bit of an excess of bone. So in that instance, I might say, okay, for the next day or so, feed boneless. So don't include bone in the diet. So that's what we mean by balance over time. Again, it just depends on on the dog and its individual needs. As Frankie explains, the individual needs of each dog is different and therefore so is their diet. Certain dogs will have specific health issues which require a bit more consideration. In some cases, a raw diet might not be the best course of action. If a dog is, say, on a um, a high steroid dose, could lead them to be immunocompromised, that's potentially something that we don't then want to introduce a raw diet to. So we'd say maybe move to a cooked diet and we can move them back once they're healthy Sometimes in certain renal conditions, depending on the staging of the renal disease, a raw diet wouldn't be appropriate. Some urinary conditions where crystals and stones are formed, some are formed in more alkaline urine, some are more acidic. Typically, a raw diet tends to make urine more slightly more acidic. So if a dog is already having these issues, it can potentially make it worse. There are some other scenarios where raw feeding might not be recommended. These cases concern the type of people who are going to be around the raw food and the bacteria it can harbour. To answer this question, we went back to our bacteria expert and vet, Connor O'Halloran. Do you have anybody specifically, you know, at home who is immunocompromised, is pregnant or is trying to get pregnant? Do you have small children? Then maybe it's not the best idea to have raw meat on the floor where they're going to be crawling around. But actually, if you've got a couple, single person, who's adult, fully immunocompetent, and they want to feed raw, then they probably can do it completely safely. So what about the safe handling of raw food? 
Connor says that there are a few things to consider when it comes to hygiene at feeding times. There's a few things that people can do. So buying your raw food from a commercial, regulated, high-quality company to start with means that there's going to be the minimum amount of contamination possible on that, or in that food, which means that you're starting with the safest product possible. Then as a consumer, storing and keeping it as directed by the manufacturer, so a lot of them recommend you know, keeping it frozen or only defrosting it as you need it, but you know, keeping to their advice, whatever that specific advice is for that specific product, and then feeding the appropriate amounts that they recommend per meal so that your dog, for example, is eating the whole meal and not leaving raw food at room temperature for prolonged periods of time. Then in terms of our health, human health, they do shed these bacteria in their feces. So actually making sure you wash your hands after you've been picking up after your dog is really important. A lot of it comes down to basically good hygiene practices. So in the way that you would expect or anticipate handling raw food that you were going to eat, then doing the same for the food that your dog's going to eat or your cat's going to eat. So keeping it in a safe part of the fridge, not next to food that you're going to eat raw without cooking so that there's no cross-contamination, washing your hands after you've handled it with hot soapy water, cleaning the dog's bowls with hot water, just generally the way you would clean your chopping board after you've cut up a raw chicken, that's how you should imagine your dog's bowl is when it's been down and it's had raw food in it. So it's not really doing anything massively different. It's just applying the same principles that you would in terms of handling raw meat that you were going to consume and store properly and just thinking about your dog or cat's food in, in the same way. When someone has a good understanding of their dog's nutrition what they need and how to read markers of their health, when they know the constituent parts of a balanced diet and how to handle the ingredients correctly, they might consider producing their own DIY diet. This can be a great way to feed a raw diet on a smaller budget. There are a number of raw feeding models, but they could start with the one that Frankie's company uses as a basis. A good rule of thumb for a dog is a third meat, including muscle and organ meat, a third meaty bones and a third vegetables and or fruit. Not all raw food diets are equal. A poor diet is always going to be a poor diet, regardless of whether the food is raw or processed. So variety is important. Different meats from different animals, different cuts of meat, seasonal vegetables. You know, one day, let's say, starting on a Sunday, you give minced chicken, chicken carcass with, with no meat on it, some cabbage, broccoli and some apple, maybe with an egg booster. And then Monday you might go for some cubed pork, pork ribs, carrot and some cauliflower. Make that plan variable so that you can change your meat, you can change the bone type, things like that. Frankie emphasises the importance of owners talking to veterinary professionals about nutrition. Whether they're looking to switch to a raw diet, have health concerns or they want to produce their own food. We do always say to discuss these things with with your vet and we do get people um, whose vet just simply refuse to discuss it but hopefully more and more veterinary professionals will just want to know a little bit more in the hope that they can help their own clients and say you know okay I know a bit about this that sounds better things like that. Connor says that engaging with owners about pet nutrition is something that vets can definitely improve on. As 
a profession, we still aren't at the point where we're very good at educating owners about nutrition. So are we not getting through to people sufficiently to explain the differences and why they might choose to feed this product over that product, especially at the moment because people are struggling so much with the cost of everything. If we don't explain to people properly how important nutrition is in terms of health and disease, why would they do anything different than buy the cheapest kibble that is available? Because if we haven't educated people differently, then that's a totally logical thing to do. And then that comes back to us having those conversations with people right when they bring the puppy and kitten in for its first vaccines. How do you plan to feed this animal? And if they're you know, not aware, we've got to teach them. As we approach the end of our final episode, we want to remind you of some of the areas we've touched on throughout the series. We think these are good points to bear in mind when considering questions around the topic of dog nutrition. We looked at the high rate of health issues in dogs, including obesity, pancreatitis and, of course, cancer. We explored dogs' evolutionary history and found out how it can help inform us about what our canine friend's diet should include today. We also looked at the history of kibble, where it came from and how it's produced, and investigated the influence of carbohydrates on dogs' bodies. We heard about how the process of cooking affects food and how an increasing number of people are bypassing this by feeding a raw diet. We addressed the concerns of a raw diet, including the presence of bones and bacteria, and learned about the significance of quality and variety when it comes to the ingredients used. We spoke to people who are conducting crucial research in the field of dog nutrition, and a veterinary practice that is incorporating diet into their care plan and business model. Finally, we heard about the lack of owners discussing nutrition with their vets and how important it is for them to properly engage with their clients on this topic. Thank you so much for joining us for this series of the Dog Nutrition Podcast. We've learned a lot in the process and we hope you feel you have too. Thank you to all the experts who have shared their knowledge with us throughout the series. We're going to leave you with some words of wisdom from one of the biggest pioneers in the field of dog nutrition, Dr. Ian Billingshurst. One last thing, if you'd have a message for any sort of young vets starting out now or veterinary nurses who are trying to get their brains around so many different species, so many, you know, there's so much to learn. What would the message you'd give them about the way dogs and cats should be fed? Would there be like one main thing you'd like to communicate to them? I'd communicate them to have an open mind about nutrition, not to necessarily accept what they're taught by pet food companies and keep in their mind the words of Dobbs Hansky, the geneticist. Nothing in biology makes any sense except in the light of evolution. And then ask yourself the question. You are a trained biologist. You should ask this question. What did our dogs evolve to require in the way of food? How do we mimic that evolutionary requirement? And are we doing that? And if we're not, ask yourself the question, why are these animals so sick that we, we are seeing today? Is sickness so normal or is health normal? And why aren't we seeing health? Ask those questions. If you're looking for more information on raw feeding and canine nutrition, you can download a free copy of the best-selling guide, The Natural Feeding Handbook, from www.honeysrealdogfood.com.